and this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. reading from the New Testament book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, 18 to 21. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do, but if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for his purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. This is the word of the Lord. Well, suffering... Sounds like a fun topic, right? The word uh, submit is also a word that we often cringe at in our world today. Submit, submission. Those, that, that word conjures up an idea of, of rights being violated. It makes us think of racism, sexism, and dehumanization. Unfortunately, there are valid reasons for those concerns in our world So when we come across it in the Bible, it's easy to misunderstand what is being said because of our experiences outside of that. For example, I'm going to make a statement in just a moment, and when you hear it, I want you to record mentally your initial reaction to what I'm about to say. Are you ready? Here we go. I love Satan. I love Satan. Now, some of you are having some weird reactions right now. Some of you are wondering, what kind of church is this, and why did he just say that? You're trying to figure out how to get out of that door without causing a scene right now. Some of you know better than to think that I would say that I love Satan, and so you're trying to figure out what's going on here. You're, you're, you know that this is inaccurate based on your experience with me and what I believe about the Lord. You know I don't love the devil, Satan, and you're trying to figure out where in the world I'm going with this. Some of you are concerned on two counts, and you're judging me right now. Number one, you think I just said I love the devil, and number two, you're judging me because I didn't pronounce Satan correctly. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've heard this before when I've said this. You know exactly what I mean, so you're not confused. You're just waiting for me to tell everyone else what I mean when I say I love Satan. Satan is a wheat gluten um, protein. It's fake meat. So if you don't like meat and you have a meat substitute, you can get Satan. It's a substitute for those who want to eat it. And you may be thinking right now, 
That sounds about what you would call something that's fake meat. You would call it Satan because that's just evil for anything to be impersonating something that's so good. Um, But I had this for the first time. I believe it was the first time ever. We went to a vegan restaurant for a date, and I sat down and I ordered this orange Satan. I didn't know how to pronounce it. I just pointed because that's what I do. And, uh, and, I, and I got it. It was like orange chicken that you would get from an Asian restaurant. And I was eating it, and I was like, I told Carrie, I was like, I love this. This is really good. And I was fascinated with how the texture seemed to be a lot like what I would expect chicken to be cooked that way. And so I was like, I love this. This is good. And then it hit me what I was saying. I was saying, I love Satan. <laughs> which led me to have a lot of jokes that were pretty funny that night. And, and by, what I mean by funny is I thought they were funny. I laughed at them. Carrie laughed at a couple, and then it got old pretty quickly. But since I'm a pastor, for me to say something like that sounds the opposite. You see what I'm saying? It's very easy to be confused. So what am I, what's my point in this? My point is it's very easy to think someone is saying one thing and be way off. It's really easy for us to think someone is saying something very clear, but us to be almost totally opposite and very wrong in our assumptions and and conclusions that we draw. Many people think these verses are irrelevant, that these verses say something bad, that they approve of something evil, and so they're dismissed. And I want us to, to be challenged by understanding that, that when we observe what's happening here, when we take in the facts of what's being said to who, what situation they're in, who, they're writing, or who is writing it, and, and the message that's being conveyed in the totality, that we want to be sure and we can understand what is being said here and apply it to our lives as well. Peter's talking about suffering in this verse, and he's talking about submission, he's talking about injustice, And we're going to see tonight how suffering leads to justice. For us to understand that, I want us to get number one, if you want to follow along in your worship folders, there is a sermon outline, and we're going to fill in some blanks. And you can start with number one, how suffering leads to justice. Number one is going to be this. God's word means justice for all. God's word means justice for all. I don't want to get into a debate about our national, uh, our pledge of allegiance and for our nation, but there's one phrase in it that strikes a chord with God's word, and it's that justice for all part. That is something that goes along with God's message, God's word, what he wants and what his heart desires is justice for all people. He doesn't just want justice to come for a certain sect, but he wants every person to have justice. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, which is what we read a few moments ago. It says, servants. Another translation for this is slaves. Slaves, be submissive to your masters with all respect. And we're going to stop there because point two is going to go from that point on. So the word servants here, as I said, means slaves. And specifically, this is talking about household slaves. To be clear, slavery is an evil institution. Nowhere in the Bible does the, uh, does the Lord condone it. Nowhere in the Bible does God approve of it. Nowhere is it considered a good thing. When Peter wrote this letter, slavery was widespread to his audience and in the culture he was living in. Listen to this. Between one-third and one-half of all people 
were slaves in the Roman Empire at this time. Some estimate that's about 60 million people. Peter was addressing the slaves personally. Not all of those 60 million slaves were Christians. So the people he's writing to are Christians. They are a small minority of this, and as he's addressing the slaves here, of this sect of people that are considered property. And he's writing to them. He's addressing them personally. He didn't write the letter to their masters and then have the masters address the slaves, but he wrote to the slaves personally in this part of the section. This is very important, and we'll see this later on in the letter too with other groups of people. He showed respect. This is what Peter did. He showed respect and honor to an individual in society who was more known to be property than to be a person. The government that was in charge when Peter wrote this was not a government that was placed by God to do good work and to punish the bad and to do these things that we see in Romans chapter 13. It was so bad, and the mindset was so unjust towards the slave population that even celebrated to this day uh, often quoted Aristotle. This is what he said about slaves. He lived about 300 years before the writing of this letter, a little over 300 years. He said regarding slaves, there can be no injustice towards slaves. Basically, there are no rights. Whatever you want to do to a slave is fine. There's no injustice towards slaves. But Peter... He writes to them, and he tells them that some of you are going to suffer, and it's going to be unjust. It's not right. What Peter was saying to them, he was saying, I see you, and I hear you. I value you. I respect you, and that's what God says about you as well. So he writes to them, he addresses them personally, and then he says to them, be submissive. It also means submit yourself to your master. He's telling the slave to be submissive, to choose to be submissive. We talked about last week, and it said that we are free in Christ. We are free to submit ourselves to the authority of the land properly. We're also, he's showing them, you're free in Christ, but you are free in Christ and use your freedom and choose to yield to your master. It's not an oppressive, heavy-handed command. It's not someone forcing someone else to submit. But this is Peter telling them, this is how you're to honor God. This is how you're to honor him. You're to use your freedom in Christ to shine brightly in a dark world by being the best that you can be. And many of us do not like this. Why didn't Peter tell them to rebel? Why didn't he tell them to revolt, to start a revolution like William Wallace did in Scotland? Why did he tell them to submit? And the short answer is this. We see in the Bible a perfect God working in an imperfect world. We see a perfect God working in an imperfect world. 
I want to show you a picture to pop up on the screen here. It's a, it's a picture right close to my house between me and Astoria Park, and it's a picture of this iron fence. Uh, you can't see it as well as I can, but it's an iron fence growing through a tree. And there's a few of them along this block that have, over the many years, have grown around this fence. Now, this tree should be free. It shouldn't have to have that fence going through it. In order to be healthy, it needs to be free. And now, because of this fence, it's scarred, and it's deformed. You can see the, the de- deformity on it, because there's this fence growing inside it. But the fence, it's also hindered by the tree. The fence, is, is, it's, its integrity is tied to the structural strength of this tree, because if the tree falls, now the fence is going to break. They're commingled. And I think slavery in Peter's day was similar to this picture, to this tree and this fence, because the system that they were living in took years and years and years and centuries to be established. It wasn't something that just happened overnight. And if Peter tells them all to revolt, then it's going to have catastrophic effects on the people in the world. It's going to have catastrophic effects on the slaves. It's also going to have catastrophic effects on the masters. And if we're going to move in to, to extract the fence from this tree, then likely we're going to kill the tree. And it would be very hard to remove the tree and, from the fence and expect the fence to be very strong either to survive such a dramatic process. Not to mention, if you rescue either one of them, you're going to kill the other one. So they're working together until death do them part. Peter was telling the Christian slaves, how to do what was best for them. This is how you need to live and how you can honor God at the same time. They're a small minority as a Christians, and their purpose, as we saw earlier in the letter, their purpose was to proclaim the mighty acts of him, God, who called them out of darkness into marvelous light. That's your purpose. And your mission is to live honorably among the non-believers. And here's how I want you to do it. Now, this is a very hard saying. This is very hard to, to hear, submit to your master. And it's, but it's very easy to become partisan. It's very easy when you're fighting for your rights to demonize those whom are denying you your rights. I think about the, the march that happened yesterday with gun control. There's the March for Life on one side, and on the other side, there's this March for Rights and defending our rights to have guns. I think about abortion, how they have a March for Life. And then there's also another March for Women's Rights. And the way many protests that are done today, the way they're done, it lends us, it leads us to believe that we have to choose between either the police or the black community. That we have to choose between our Second Amendment or our children. That we have to choose between either a mother or her baby. That's the way our protests lead us to fight. But our issues are bigger than who you're for and who you're against. They're much more complex. Our world is broken and if we just go in and try to tear it down and start from scratch, or if we try to fix it in the wrong way, then what we're going to do is make a bad problem worse. 
And being a Christian doesn't mean that we do or don't march, but it does mean, it does change why we do or why we don't march. And it changes how we march or how we don't march. The heart of the issue is, is this. If you think that every Christian has to agree on every debatable topic, or if you think anyone who disagrees with you is the problem with the world, or if you think some people don't deserve to be heard because they're either deplorable or a snowflake, then the biggest problem in your life is you. The Christian faith doesn't enter into a culture and demand others to submit to it. I'll say that again. The Christian faith doesn't enter into a culture and demand others to submit to it. It doesn't say conform to our way of life. It doesn't say that we know the right way and we place these demands upon you. What it does is the Christian faith places demands on me. It puts new standards in my life. It changes me. It sets a new standard for me. And if your Christian faith isn't working for your own life, then I encourage you not to export it to anyone else. Slaves and servants, he said, I want you to choose to submit your valued, equal life to your master. This is how you are going to honor God and help yourself. As an addendum, I don't claim today to answer every question, but I do hope to raise a lot of questions. How can suffering lead to justice? The first thing we have to understand is that God's word means justice for all, for everyone. Number two is this. God gives favor so we can honor him even in unreasonable circumstances. God gives favor so we can honor him even in unreasonable circumstances. If submission makes you cringe, then the thought of choosing to suffer will likely push you further But again, I want to resist the temptation to come to your own conclusion before we have all the details. So close your Twitter, and let's listen some more, okay? Number uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 18. We'll go back to what we started with. Servants, slaves, be submissive or submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable or harsh. For this, when you do this, it finds favor. And if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, you receive favor. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? Basically what he's saying is, what good is it if you do bad things and you're punished for it? That, that's just natural law. But if when you do what is right and you suffer for it, and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Uses the word submit. Uses the word unreasonable, which means harsh. And it's interesting to note that the submission directive from from Peter isn't dependent upon whether your master is good or harsh. 
He very clearly says, whether your master is good or harsh, submit to him. And he says, when you do this, favor and grace, uh, favor is, is translated in the New American Standard as favor, and it's in grace and other ones. In New, New NIV, it says it's commendable. But it's talking about this, from, this comes from God. This favor, this grace, this commendation comes from God. And that is the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith is that God has given salvation to us. And this is the same, the same way. The, the continuation of our faith is dependent on us receiving power, receiving grace, receiving favor from our Father. It's not about, okay, now that we're saved, we're going to go march, or we're going to go protest, or we're going to go do whatever and show God how serious we are about following Him. But it remains true that no matter whether we're coming to God through salvation for the first time or whether we're walking in that salvation, we are dependent upon God's favor and upon His grace. You may say, well, I'm not strong enough to endure what God's asking me to endure. And I would agree, I don't think you are either. But when God puts His grace on you, when He puts His favor on you, He will strengthen you to endure whatever it is that He is calling you to do. Amen? You may not say amen, but it's true. God uses both the good and the bad in our lives. And it's our job to use whether it's good or whether it's bad as an advertisement for Christ. Whether I'm receiving blessings or whether I'm suffering, it's an opportunity to show the light of Christ in my life. And 1 Peter is all about Christian life being lived in a non-Christian world. And it says we're to be different from others. That's why we entitled this series Stranger Beings, because we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to stand out in this world. We're to abstain from fleshly, sinful desires within us. Again, looking inward, choosing inwardly to submit to the Lord and abstaining from these things, not placing demands on other people, keeping ourselves pure, not demanding they do this. But we, in the same, uh, at the same time, are not to be removing ourselves from the world and sacrificing the influence we have with non-believers. It's not remove ourselves from, from fleshly lust and remove ourselves from people that are bad, but it's staying with people, pursuing people, while we are removing ourselves from sin. We're to use our different values to show our devotion to Christ, and at the same time, show our love for all people. One way to do that is through our holiness and purity, as we saw in chapter 1, where he says, be holy. That's what God said, be holy, for I am holy. That's one way to show our love and devotion to Christ. And the second way is for us to suffer the way Christ suffered. I'm not saying that you're all going to go out and suffer tomorrow. You may live the rest of your lives in total blessing. But there's probably going to be a time when you're going to have to endure something. There's going to be a time when we will be called to suffer and identify with Christ in his suffering. Instead of rejecting the ways of the world, Peter spoke to the slaves and he said, I want you, instead of rejecting slavery, I want you to follow the path of Christ. And I want you to suffer. I want you to submit yourselves. Now, the, the issues would take forever to, to, to address with why this sounds so terrible to us, but one of the main ones I want to point out is, is identity issues. I think one of the reasons that this is so hard for us is that our identity 
is, is usually built on something other than Christ. Even when we know Christ is our Savior, we still get our identity and our, our reason for being who we are, our values, our, our affirmation. We get that from something or someone else in our lives. And you can't submit yourself to other people if your identity is built on a negative process of rejecting their beliefs and their practices. You can't submit yourself to other people if your identity is built upon rejecting what they stand for. Violence seems unavoidable when you have an identity where you're pushing people away from you to keep them from polluting your world. Violence doesn't have to be outright aggression, but a lot of times, you ready? A lot of times, it's resentment. And I just wonder, is there resentment within your heart today? Is there a group of people or certain people that that you just can't stand? Peter's audience that he was writing to was a persecuted minority people that were facing discrimination. I imagine feelings of rage and thoughts of revenge must have been in their minds at some point either desiring to inflict rage upon them themselves or dreaming one day when finally God sends them to hell. But what do we find in this letter? What we find in this letter is that Peter told them not to repay evil for evil, to not to return abuse for abuse, but instead to repay evil with a blessing. And if your identity is wrapped up in who you stand against, then you'll never be able to bless those who persecute you. You'll never be able to pray for those and bless those that that disagree with you, that stand for the very thing that you stand against. Interestingly enough, if that's where you find yourself, that you can't bless someone who believes strongly opposite of what you believe, Interestingly enough, you're allowing your enemy to define who you are. You're giving them power over you. The audience was involved that Peter was writing to. They were involved in a conflict that they did not provoke. They didn't start it. They were in a conflict that they could not avoid, they couldn't get out of it. And they were in a conflict where they were the oppressed party. And I'm not talking about marriage. That was funny. It's okay to laugh. That was a joke. Maybe it wasn't that funny. But they were in this situation where they were trapped. And there was no way for them to get out of it. And Peter told them, he said, I want to encourage you to curb the acts of violence to curb this violence being done toward you. Here's how I want you to do it. I want you to do good. That's how I want you to to lower this down. I want you to do good. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. He said, whoever forces you to go a mile, go with them too. And when others treat you and respond to you with kindness, mercy, and love, then the Lord, excuse me, when others treat you poorly like this and you respond with kindness, mercy, and love, then what the Lord is going to do is He's going to pour out grace upon you. He's going to pour out favor upon you 
because he likes what he sees. So let's keep going. How can suffering lead to justice? Number three, I want us to know that submission by believers is not enslaving, but it's liberating. Submission by believers is not enslaving, but it is liberating. So fear for oneself or one's identity always leads to harshness and hardness. It's like driving in the city, right? Don't mess with me. Stop cutting me off. I feel harsh toward you right now. I'm going to say things. So, but this harshness in our, in our life, when we have this fear or a fear of our identity being attacked, it leads to one of two choices when we're fearful. The choices are either submit to me or be rejected. You're either with me or you're against me. You're either my friend or you're my enemy. Either do what I say or get away from me. And this doesn't have to be that bold. You can manipulate people. You can have hidden pressures. You can have threats. But if you're secure in God and you're liberated from what, if you're secure in who God says you are, then you're liberated from what others label you. And when you're able to be liberated from that, then now you are free to live without fear. You don't fear what your enemies do. You have no need to dominate others. You have no need to condemn them to make yourself feel better, but you can actually allow them to be themselves. You can actually say, I totally disagree with them, but I still have love for them. You live as a witness to Christ and assume the posture of invitation instead of intimidation. You seek to win others through no manipulation, and sometimes you seek to win them without even having to say a word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, we'll stop here. He talks about this, he says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. There are times in our lives where we are to follow the example of the suffering Christ, where we are to suffer, where we are to submit ourselves to unjust suffering. And having, this is important, having an attitude of humility towards others who are undeserving of it is exactly the same thing that God has done for us in giving us unmerited favor graciously that we did not deserve. So the thing is, Jesus is not asking us to do something that he himself has not already done. That's the God we serve. To live as a Christian means that you do what other people think is impossible. You live in such a way as to join the belief in your truth of the Christian faith while simultaneously having a respect for others who hold different convictions. You don't have to pit one against the other. You can stand firm in your faith and at the same time respect the opinions of others. This is our calling from Jesus. It's, this posture should be who we are at all times, that we neither compromise our convictions or we neither, neither try to, um, uh, to oppress those who disagree with us and, and force them to conform, even when we are convinced that others are wrong even when we are convinced that they are evil. Because if we give up this posture, then we sacrifice our identity as the follower, as a follower of Christ. This has been a, a difficult text to wrestle with all week. 
And I know that when I finish in about three minutes, there's going to be some things I wish I'd said differently, some jokes I may have skipped over. And I'm going to wish that there were some things I wish I had thought of to say because I'm going to find out some things tomorrow. But here's what I want to conclude with. We live in a very complicated and confused culture. It's hard to know what, what is right and what is wrong based on what the culture values because it's always changing. And it's changing even faster than it used to. You're going to find many common areas where other people outside of the Christian faith value the same thing that you do. Those are things that you should celebrate. Those are things that we should look to work with people in common areas of agreement. Equality, dignity, taking care of orphans, those are great places to start. But you're also going to find the cultures of the world, not just ours, but around the world, they're very complex, and they're not, you're not able to prescribe a single proper way for Christians to relate to any given culture. It's not that simple. Instead, there are numerous ways to accept the good things in the culture, to reject the evil things in the culture, to influence the powers that be in the culture, and to transform various parts of culture over time. While it is complex, we also see from this text that there are times when God wants us to do what our flesh is going to resist strongly, to submit and to suffer, even when it's wrong. Even when what they're doing to me is wrong. This goes over to your workplace. Some of you have bosses that are great and you love working for them. Some of you have bosses that are not so great and they're very difficult and you put up with stuff. But whether you have a good boss or a harsh one, God wants you to be the best that you can be in your work. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to pursue excellence and to go above and beyond. He wants you to stand out And when people speak evil against you, he wants you to respond with an embrace. When someone swears at you and you want to swear back, you don't do it. You do good and you repay good for evil. You resist the urge to fight in your own power and that's when the power of God will flood your soul and empower you to live as light in a dark place. Jesus marched in on Palm Sunday. He had a march of his own. But he didn't demand justice by forcing others to submit to him as king. On Palm Sunday, he rode in on a donkey and he submitted himself to suffer the consequences of sin for the world so that the world would get justice that there would be justice that it so desperately needed, that he could find freedom for the captive, that he could truly bring freedom to the slave. And God can do what you and I can't do on our own. What God did 
was had his, had his son die for a Roman soldier who killed him. At the same time, he was dying for his mother who watched him die by the hands of that soldier. He loved them both. We don't have that capacity on our own. We pick sides, one side or the other, but God gives us a capacity to understand that we, by God's power, can love everyone. He can love them both. He didn't choose sides in a war. Jesus didn't choose sides. Instead, he chose to have his side pierced for our sins. Jesus suffered to bring justice to the world. So how can suffering bring justice? Through the perfect Son of God, suffering the unjustified death on a cross by submitting his life at Calvary, he purchased justice for all, and now he gives mercy and grace and favor to all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. And when we lay down our lives for others, we get out of the way, and now others are able to clearly see Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for giving life to us, and we thank you for the opportunity to live in difficult times that we are living in. I pray that instead of boldly proclaiming that we know the right answers, I pray that we would boldly submit ourselves to your authority on a moment-by-moment -moment basis and just ask for your will to be done in our lives as your will is done in heaven. Jesus, you suffered greatly so that we could be set free, and we thank you for suffering and bringing justice to the world, for taking our sin, for taking our shame, and for giving us righteousness and life and freedom. Teach us, Lord, how to follow your lead and to stand when we need to stand and to march when we need to march and to submit when we need to submit and to always, always, always honor you as our Lord, our Redeemer, our reigning King, and our Savior. I pray this in your name. Amen.